When the night, when the night has come. Has come. Uh, now land is dark. Hey, this is Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to uh, yet another episode of Pop Culturing. This is our third podcast, sweetie. Yes. Pop Culturing, where we talk about our favorite movies, basically, right? Yeah. Is that what we do? We discuss them in depth, and we also kind of... Oh, dear. Oh, that hurt my ears. Sorry. And we kind of go deep into the psyche of the characters and what we learned from the movies and why they're important and valued, and that's what I do. So this week, we're talking about a movie from 19... Take a guess, sweetie. Oh, gosh. Let's see. 1985? 1986. Oh, I was close. The year that the uh, Mets beat the Red Sox in the World Series. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, Stand By Me, it's always been one of my favorite movies, and uh, here's a quick summary. (laughs) Stand By Me, it's about a, it's the summer of 1959 in Castle Rock, Oregon, sweetie, and there's four boys. Can you name them? Yes. Gordy. Yep. Chris. Yep. Um... Uh, yes, I can. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I got to like see their faces in my head. Um, Vern. Well, that's even more and more. And then the Corey Feldman character. He is, I can't remember. Teddy. Teddy. Thank you. They're friends. And they're after learning the general location of the body of a local boy who's been missing for several days. They set off into the woods to see it. Along the way, they learn about themselves, the meaning of friendship, and the need to stand up for what's right. It's a perfect pop culturing movie. It is. So lots of it lessons is. learned. So um, this has been a movie that's been very near and dear to my heart, probably because it's about boyhood. And they're 12 years old. 12 years old. Which is like a huge time for I for all adolescents. I mean, that's the memories of my girlfriends and my guy friends mm-hmm. when I was 12 is still very ingrained in my mind. Yeah. And but I think because of what you do for a living focusing on healthy masculinity. Yeah. Something that you have recognized is that 12 is kind of one of the last years that everybody's fully vulnerable. Well, with you're each other. not a kid and you're not an adult you know, called the tween years, I guess. I don't know. But girls aren't that important yet. Right. A little bit important, but not super important. Well, that's kind of what's funny. There's a scene in the movie where uh, Richard Dreyfuss, who's the narrator, says it's, you know, and they're around the campfire, they're doing their marshmallows and their s'mores, which Uh I'm actually not that big of a fan of. I think s'mores are overrated. Mm, I do not. I think they are rated just right. And I, I think it's just because of the marshmallows, but we could save that for another pod- yes, podcast. Yes, not super important. Um, he's like, and they start talking about what, if you could only have one food for the rest of your life, and Vern says cherry flavor Pez, which mm-hmm. is pretty funny, because he's just thinking about candy. As of kids, course. we just think about candy. He's like, it's the kind of conversation you think is important until you discover girls. Right. So he actually, they actually say that in the movie. It's kind of before girls get involved with... Their lives. And there is one scene in the junkyard yes. where they actually talk about girls' bodies. Yes, they do. And so they it, talk about Annette. They talk about Annette. From and, the Mickey Mouse Club. Exactly. So it comes up really briefly. Right. But they move so on. The hormones so, are starting to correct. slowly get into gear. You know, I And isn't Annette the lady from Skippy Peanut Butter commercials? Are they talking about Annette Funicello? Wasn't she a Mickey Mouse girl? Yes, she was. So that's who they're talking isn't about. Isn't that weird? Yeah, some from Beach Blanket Bingo. 
Yeah. I don't know what Beach Blanket Bingo is. She and uh, Annette Funicello and this other dude, and I'm forgetting his name. You could look it up. But they were like in a bunch of beach movies. Okay. Like where they would just dance on the beach. You know, Got there'd it. be like a song. Got it. Um, uh, so anyway, oh, Frankie. Frankie Av- Avalon. Avalon. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the two of them. Were they married? I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, I don't remember all How of that. How can you not know this important information? Uh, well, I don't, but that's, I didn't even realize that's who they were talking about. I didn't yeah. get that deep into it. But one of the things that's interesting is that I've taught kids my whole life and that fifth grade was what I did my student teaching in and what I enjoy, the the age of kids. That's like the BU program that we did where we talked to girls about their lives and self-awareness and everything. That's something Todd and I used to do. Yeah. Fifth grade is such an important time. And again, it's a little younger than 12. You know, they're in middle school or Mm -hmm. actually they call it grade school because I think they went K through eight. But I feel like fifth grade, that fifth and sixth grade year, they're old enough to like recognize their own behavior and to talk about things that are a little more mature, but they're still kids. Yeah. And then there's this big switch, you know, which they're on the verge of having. They're just, and I almost feel I know they it was like like a one month or a two month shoot, mm-hmm. but I can almost tell the difference between these actors at the end of the movie. Really, really. Versus, and maybe that's just I'm projecting, yeah. and I, I want to see that. Uh, but they like their voices seem just a teeny bit deeper at the oh, end of the movie than the beginning. Uh, but also, if you think about it in the story. Um, they mature. They mature a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it was either Richard Dreyfus was talking about this movie because, like you said, he's the narrator, or Rob Reiner, who's a director. But they were saying that a lot of the movie uh, is based on those first-time experiences that you have with your friends yes. where it grows you up really yes. fast, you know, like running from the dog and jumping over the, you know, the, the, fence. the fence or just making the choice to say, let's tell our parents we're spending the night at other places yeah. and actually walk down the railroad track. Well, that's funny because Kathy and I do this other podcast called Zen Parenting Radio. And it's interesting, like, I'm sure there's some families out there that would let their kids just they're let their 12-year-olds go because what they did was the alibi that they created so that they can go on this journey to go find this kid's dead body is that they all said that they were going to go to the drag races and then camp in Vern's back field. Mm-hmm. And they're basically just going to be gone for two days. Mm-hmm. And of like they don't even give it another thought. Like, of course, my parents are going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, not only will we not let our kids just go away for two days we would want to know exactly where they are and cell phone numbers and everything else. And there's, that's another part of why I love this movie because it's 2019 and it kind of, although that this movie bring it's the time period is 1959. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of when I was nine years old. Right. It's more similar to our childhood Correct. than our children's childhood. Correct. And, you know, I did do that. My girlfriends and I did the whole, like, say you're spending the night here and you're spending the night here so we can walk around outside. Like, we had those experiences. and so nobody. It sounds a little more boring than going to find a dead body. Yeah. We didn't really have a lot of intention yeah. except to, like, show up in people's backyards with flashlights, which right. is super dumb and yeah. is, you know, in kind of invading their privacy. But um, the other thing is I was going to say about them do it oh while you're thinking about it okay it'll come back another reason why i love this movie is because it has four different characters Mm -hmm. and each kind of plays a role in this small group in the small friendship group right you have uh not will i was was gonna say will wheaton you have gordy uh, gordy who is kind of the the smart introverted uh 
methodical, um, well, trustworthy, trustworthy guy. Um, kind. Mm-hmm. You have Teddy, who's kind of the wild man. Mm-hmm. That's Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. the glasses. Mm-hmm. You got Verno, who's kind of the silly fat kid. Mm-hmm. And then you got Chris, who's the leader. Mm-hmm. And Chris is the leader, even though he struggles the most. I, sure. Well, here, here I'm going to go back to what I had forgotten I was going to say, and now I remembered, is that you said they all said to their parents, we're going to go sleep in Verno's backyard, right? But what we know, except we don't know much about Vern's parents. Nothing. But everybody yeah. else's parents kind of don't care too much. Correct. Chris's parents are not super... Chris, Chris's parents are... Uh, her, his dad is drunk somewhere. Right. And then we know that Gord. Teddy's dad is not well. In the insane asylum. Exactly. And then we know that Gordy's parents are grieving and are completely numb to the world because Gordy's older brother, who's yeah. played by John Cusack in the movie, he was killed. Yeah. So you see John Cusack in the form of flashbacks. Yeah. And it's even kind of cool because we watched the director's cut last night. Yeah. And I don't know if you stayed awake for this part, but Rob Reiner said, this is kind of neat because we they purposely overlit the scene, so oh, it's yeah, like yeah. brighter. So it looks fuzzy. It looks a little mm-hmm. fuzzy. Looks like a like a uh, you're looking back in time. Yeah, it's just so movie making. Well, is and so then amazing. did you also hear him say that he and John Cusack had just made the Sure Thing, yes. which is another one of my favorite movies. Yes. I would love to do a, a pop culturing about the Sure Thing because John Cusack, I that's like the John Cusack I love. Like I love a bunch of his movies. Mm-hmm. Obviously, say anything is the yeah. the best of the best, but. I love that movie. And they had just finished that movie. So Rob Reiner was thinking to himself, okay, this older brother needs to make a huge impact. Like, so, so you know, he's going to be in what, three scenes, yeah, tops, two like or three 15 scenes? 15 seconds. Right. So you need to grab onto him. And it, you need to like him. You need to like him. And yeah. John Cusack is just that guy. Yeah. He's that, especially at that age. He's so cute in this movie. So I thought you were going to say your favorite uh, John Cusack film was Eight Men Out, where he plays Buck Weaver, the third baseman for the no, 19. It's not even on my John Cusack list. Oh, it's not. No, yeah, I I know what that's about. It's about the black the black socks, yes. and it's a little field of dreams ish. I, I was a li- I was joking there, by the way. Okay, um, so so go ahead. Well, I was going to say, can we since you, we're talking just about the characters and we're at the beginning here, can we talk just a l- real briefly about each of them? Sure. Because each of the actors in this movie, the the four boys, are so interesting just in themselves. Like I'm not going to go too deep into it because you know I can get really lost in their in their lives and their history, but there's such a story behind each of them. And Rob Reiner has his own story about why he chose them. Um, but so Will Wheaton, let's just start with him because he- That's Gordy. That's Gordy. And he really is, as Rob Reiner said, the focus of the of the movie. Stephen King said he's, he wasn't the focus of the book. So though. this is just for those of you guys who don't know, this movie was made off of a short story right. that Stephen King did. A novella. I don't know what that word means. It's, it, it's a keep, short story. I keep thinking of Nutella when they <laughs> kept saying Nutella. novella. Yeah, it's a novella. Sounds like it's a book of short stories. Mm-hmm. I would just call it that instead of make up French words. The Shawshank Redemption was too. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And it was called The Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. whereas this movie was called... The Body. Very good, sweetie. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to call it The Body because they thought it would have... People would have heard the title and it would have been turned off. Yeah. Well, it does have a totally different feel. For sure. Like Stand By Me is, it kind of relays the optimism of the movie, mm-hmm. which is friendship. Yeah. And they chose the song before they decided to name 
the movie after that song. Oh, interesting. Because yes. the, the music was very carefully chosen. Yes. Uh, you know, it had to be songs from that era, obviously. And it also, Rob Reiner was really picky about which songs. They had to mean something to him. To him. So anyway, Will Wheaton, first of all, his birthday is my birthday. Oh, wow. But he's your age. He's young. Oh. So Todd is a year younger than me, so I just call him young. Even though it's my birthday and you keep on reminding me that I'm 48. I know, and you're 47. not. You're 47. I'm sorry. I keep, I'm so I'm focused like, did on- I, Did I miss a year? Like, what happened? <laughs> I'm so focused on my age that I keep projecting my age on Todd. But no, he's turned 47 today. Happy birthday, Todd. Thanks, sweetie. Um, and, but Will Wheaton was born on July 29th, which is my birthday, in uh, 1972. So he's a year younger than us, or than me, mm-hmm. not you. <laughs> <laughs> so as we know, like he was, I, Stand By Me was his biggest young role. But then you know he was in Star Trek The Next Generation. Which I didn't watch. Neither did I, but your brother loved it and my sister loved it. Yeah. It's like one of those shows that's a cult thing. Yeah. You know, like if you're Never into, got it. into it. So the thing that I wanted to say about Will Wheaton was one of the things that um, he's been around, obviously, he's on the Big Bang Theory and he's kind of maintained a, a career somewhat. Um, but he wrote a blog last year that went viral. And I just wanted to read a small part of sure. it. Okay. Uh, He wrote, uh, hi, I'm Will Wheaton. I'm 45 years old. I have a wife, two adult children who make me proud, a daughter-in-law who I love like my own. I work on the most popular comedy series in the world. I've been a New York Times number one best-selling audiobook narrator. Mm. I've run out of space in my office for the awards I've received. I'm a white, heterosexual, cisgender man in America. I live life on the lowest difficulty setting with the celebrity cheat piece enabled, Mm. meaning like he has all the, you know, people know who he is and see him and all that. My life is, by every objective measurement, very, very good. And in spite of all that, I struggle every day with my self-esteem, my worth, my value as an actor and a writer and as a human being. And that's because I live with depression and anxiety. The tag team champions of the World Wrestling with Mental Illness Federation. Mm. I'm not ashamed to stand here in front of 600 people. It was He posted this after he spoke it out loud to a group. Um, and millions more online and proudly say that I live with mental illness and that's okay. Mm. So, you know, here's this kid, you know, and he, he talked about, I think as he goes on about his experience with being an actor. And even he knew he had that anxiety and that depression when he was doing this movie. Yeah, Like this is not, it's something he lived with Mm. always. Mm. And he, the, the, it gets a little deep, you know, he talks about self-harm, he talks about suicidal ideation. Um, but it's just a very, I, I found it to be obviously very brave and obviously very helpful to people who look at him from the outside and think, just like he said, I have all these things, yeah. but that's not what mental illness is about right. because you live with something underneath that people can't see. Sure. Um, and just as Todd said, the other podcast we do is on parenting radio. We talk a lot more about this because we talk about people's um, emotional lives, you yeah. know, that also comes up on this show, but you know, we talk a lot more about the stigma of mental illness and sure. how it's so much more common than we understand. Um, and the more we can talk about it, the more we can treat it and get rid of the shame. Sweetie, light the dark. That's right. Light the dark. That's Nami's um, tagline. Tagline. So, okay. So that's Will. Yeah. All right. So River Phoenix, which is a do heartbreaking him, do him story. Last. Okay. So how about Jerry O'Connell? Sure. That's uh, Vern. Vern. Okay. So. This is Kush. His birthday's in 1974, so he's a little younger than both of us. So as we know, you know, he was Vern. And then he's one of our favorite characters in Jerry Maguire, just like you said. 
Do is he really one of our favorite characters? No. He's really not. But no. we just he's always in a movie we love. We that's what I was gonna say is we always say this is Kush. This is Kush. Um and and he's that was the big transformation for me, seeing Jerry O'Connell go from Vern, which was kinda, you know, he was kind of a uh annoying little friend, you know, a little overweight, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden he's Cushman and Jerry Maguire and he's really attractive and really strong and yeah. really healthy. Yeah. So that was a big shock, I think, for a lot of people. Um, you may know that uh, Jerry O'Connell, do you know who he, who he married? Rebecca, Ro- Re- Rebecca Romaine. Um, you're looking the... it up. No, Don't I do knew that. it. We well, oh. know what I'm doing. I'm doing this. Hey, it's Kush on the big TV again. Well, I'm sick of me already. I've got Kushlash. <laughs> Kushlash. 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 <laughs> Kushlash. Yeah, I didn't even know what he was saying until I just listened to that. That's hilarious. Um, so, yes, he married Rebecca Romaine. Who, do you remember the Friends episode when... Um, it's Ross and Rebecca Romaine is also a paleontologist and okay. they start going on on dates and then he goes to her apartment and it's like a super dirty apartment Yes, and she can't find her hamster. Yes. And then there's like, there's like bologna or something like that, like olive loaf in the, in the couch. I do remember that. And she doesn't want to go to his apartment cause it smells kind of funny. Um, anyway, so they have two little girls, mm-hmm. they have twin girls. Um, and I haven't heard much from Jerry O'Connell, but you know what his brother did? This is a little pop culture for you. What? His brother was one of the bachelors. Uh, like the show The Bachelor. Is that the show where he the guy always says, Let's get in the hot tub? <laughs> or he says, I'm really feeling a connection. Yeah, I feel real connected to this one and that one. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what choice I'm gonna make. What about Corey, sweetie? Okay. So, um, Corey Feldman. So Corey Feldman, his birthday is also in July, but nineteen seventy one. So Corey's my age. So you guys know Corey Feldman. He's been in all the 80s movies, right? He was in Gremlins. He was in The Lost Boys. What else was he in? He was obviously in Stand By Me, um, Licensed to Drive. Yeah. What else? Can you think of anything else? Uh, You were part of the Corey Feldman fan club. Wasn't he in a video? Oh, Dream a Little Dream. A video? You mean like a Michael Jackson video? Yeah. Maybe. He's a Michael Jackson kid, meaning he- Did you say Goonies? No, Goonies. I knew you'd know another one. Goonies. Okay, so- Here's the thing. So Corey Feldman, it's interesting. The the movie when Todd and I listened to the director's cut of Stand by Me, one of the things that Rob Reiner said was that Corey Feldman was the only kid who was 12 years old who was able to come in and try out for this movie audition, and he was the only 12 year old who had anger. Mm-hmm. You, you know, authentic Rob, anger. Authentic anger, and Rob Reiner's like no other kid could display that naturally, but Corey Feldman really had it. He actually ended up being, um, if I remember correctly, what is it when you like you want to be separated from your parents at an early age? Irreconcilable differences. No, with that's Drew a Barrymore? divorce thing. That's a divorce. <laughs> that's a divorce. But it's like where you want you want to have adult status, even though you're a kid. Even though you're a kid, and he needed that kind of space from his parents. They were not. It was not a good situation. Shocking. Which is why he had all the anger that we're talking that Rob Reiner was talking about. So a few other things. We all know that Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, remember Corey Haim? Also the Lost Boys, also licensed to drive. Also in Lucas. Also in Lucas. Wonderful. So these two, like through the 80s, people referred to them as the two Corys. Yeah. 
and they were best friends. And um, I was really excited because last year, 2018, um, there was a Lifetime movie called The Two Corys. I'm shocked that I missed that one. Yes, it was very exciting for me. And then my friend Noreen, we, we really appreciated that. It was very bad. But that's what made it so good. Yeah. And it gave us some insight to why they were connected and why they were such good friends. And uh, actually, Corey Haim didn't talk about this this much, but Corey Feldman has said for years and years and years that he's going to come out and share all the information he has about child abuse in Hollywood, not just child abuse, child sexual abuse. Mm. He says there's some kind of ring at the top. He, he keeps saying he, he keeps doing these interviews where he's like, I'm going to I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to come out with it. And he, there was an article in Rolling Stone last week where he's like, I, I'm ready. Mm. And it's been years, you know, but he also says there's death threats against him. Anyway, he's had some interesting turns in his career. Yeah. Remember when he did the video a year ago, like it was Corey's Angels and he sang and he has an album. I don't. Oh, geez. And I'm guessing 99% of the people out there also don't remember You know what? That's Corey. not true because he was on the Today Show. It was like a big, it was sad because he wasn't good and he thought he was and people were making fun of him and it made him sad. Yeah. He's a very, he has a lot of damage, yes. Corey Feldman, but in this movie, he was young he was great. Teddy Duchamp. Teddy Duchamp. And he had those cute glasses. So anyway, that's the boys in the Well, and Kiefer Sutherland. Well, we didn't talk about River. We skipped over Oh, River. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so River. And I'll, then we're going to... And then I'm going to play a clip from the movie. Okay, so River Phoenix, we all know he's from the family he's from. You know, he had sisters, Rain, Joaquin, Liberty, um, Summer. You know, those are his, um, his siblings. So... His situation is so sad because if you, for all of you who have seen this movie, you know, but this kid was like an actor, actor, right? He was really, really, really good. Best actor of the bunch. Probably it's, one of the best actors, uh, childhood actors we've seen. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating, but he was just really, he was magnetic. He was. And you just knew he knew what he was doing. Yeah. You knew there was a deeper, you know, energy to him. You felt confident when he was on screen. And then he did, what was that Judd Hirsch movie? Uh, running on empty, where like, he was just a, a little bit older. A day in the life older. of Jimmy Reardon. He did, was that River Phoenix? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, and then he did Running on Empty, and then he did My Own Private Idaho with um, Keanu, and he got an Academy Award nomination for that. And he also did Ladies Monopoly. That's right. He I was in your favorite movie. I love you to death <laughs> with Kevin Klein. Such a random movie. That's oh, a great movie. Kevin Klein with his wife Phoebe Cates. Yes. Um. So. He, River Phoenix, unfortunately, um, in 1993 died. And I remember this so well. I'd graduated from college um, and he died in front of the Viper Room. How old was he when he died? Let's see. Let me figure this out. He was born in 1970. So he's, he was a year, he's a year older than me. And so, yeah, he's 23. Mm. Um, he, and I think, and again, I didn't, I didn't research this enough, but I think he was with Johnny Depp. Is that right? I thought Johnny Depp owned the Viper Room. Maybe that's what it is. But right. yes, he died in front of the Viper Room. Yeah. And he he died of a drug overdose. Yeah. They did, you know, they did the toxicology report and he had died of a drug overdose. And it was um Very sad. so unfortunate. Yeah. Just such a loss for the community and uh, you know, everybody knew him and loved him. Because there was quite a gang of actors that were good friends at that time who were the same age. So it was very sad. So those are the four boys. So just those four stories, it's like enough to enjoy this movie through a different lens. For sure. You know, just to see what ended up happening in each of their lives. And then, like I said, Kiefer Sutherland, who's yeah. just 
He really. plays a really good bad guy. And he, they said, I, I think he was 18 when he did this movie. Mm-hmm. He looks the same at like 50 that he does at 18. Yeah. Hasn't aged much. No. So one more little pop culture thing, and then you can play your clip. So Kiefer Sutherland did this movie. Then he did The Lost Boys, right? Mm-hmm. So Corey Feldman was also in that with him. And Jason Patrick was in that movie with him. Um, and they became best friends, Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland. And then do you remember what happened between them? No. I'm like testing you a little bit. No idea. So Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts were engaged. And then Jason Patrick stole his girl? Correct. Oh, and, they, and Jason Patrick was Kiefer Sutherland's best man. That's what you call, that's outside of bro code. It, well, and it was just really shocking for the industry because that's just a, a big, you know, Julie Roberts, did, you know, she had a tough time in her 20s. She was with a lot of different people. Mm. Um, but anyway, so that's that's everybody I wanted to talk about. Thank you, sweetie. Uh-huh. So, um, like I said, I um, adore this movie because it's a bunch of, it just reminds me of my past and my yeah. friends and all that other stuff. So. We're going to kind of like just jump into a part that is really meaningful to me. And this is a part where they're walking down the railroad tracks and there's two different conversations going on. One of the conversations is going on between uh, Vern and Teddy. And they're talking about what you would think is normal childhood banter. And they're talking about cartoons and superheroes. And Chris and Gordy are having what I consider mature conversations. Very different conversations. So this is just a wonderful kind of example of how childhood is both. It's It's not either one. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. It would be a good fight, though. You could be a real writer someday, Gordy. Fuck writing. I don't want to be a writer. It's stupid. It's a stupid waste of time. That's your dad talking. Bullshit. Full true. I know how your dad feels about you. He doesn't give a shit about you. Danny was the one he cared about. Don't try to tell me different. Kid Gordy. Oh, gee, thanks, Dad. Wish the hell I was your dad. You wouldn't be going around talking about taking these stupid shop courses if I was. It's like God gave you something, man. All those stories that you can make up. And he said, this is what we got for you, kid. Try not to lose it. But kids lose everything unless there's someone there to look out for them. And if your parents are too fucked up to do it, then maybe I should. Okay, that's such a wonderful exchange. And here's the reason why I think of that scene as, as being so meaningful. Um, there is some authenticity going on between Chris and Gordy. Like, I don't know, is this, <clears throat> did I have the, this deep of conversations with my friends when I was 12? I think there's there were absolutely examples of real life stuff, but as I grew older, I, I, I moved further and further away from having these authentic conversations. So it's weird. Like once you hit puberty and girls show up and sports become a bigger part of your life, whatever, it just became less and less sincere for me. And, um, and it's not like I was, I was, we, 
you know, we were just the serious kids. We were also having stupid debates about who could win in a fight between Mighty Mouse and Superman. Right. So um, you could vacillate back and forth between very serious and not serious. And that's why I, I hold this movie in such high regard. And, you know, I started this men's group seven years ago. And and this scene is an example of why I started it, because I became more and more in my 20s and 30s. And, and instead of talking about Mighty Mouse and Superman, we were talking about drinking beer or girls or sports. It was the next level of entertainment. Yeah, it was yeah. just, it was just you know, instead of Mighty Mouse and Superman, it was the Chicago Bears and getting drunk. And I started this group because I wanted to be more like Chris and Gordy. And that is just a wonderful kind of encapsulation of childhood and how me as a man got further and further away from this sincere, uh, authentic communication between two guys. Well, and true friendship, you yes. know, like there's a bunch of stuff in that scene. Like, first of all, just to point out what Gordy already knows, which is that Denny, the John Cusack character, was the beloved son. Mm -hmm. Like he was a quarterback for the football team. Everybody loved him. Yeah. Um, is that right? Was he a quarterback? Yep. I'm trying to remember if it was baseball or football. Quarterback. And he was the one everyone in town knew. And there was a lot of like, okay, we're left with this son. Mm -hmm. um, even if that wasn't spoken, it's what Gordy felt. And yeah. for Chris to like say that out loud is, um, that's harsh, yeah. but it's true. I like that he says, <laughs> that Gordy says bullshit and Chris says bull true. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great, such a good kid response. It is. It's such a great response. Like, because he's not saying your dad doesn't care about you, so be it. He's saying your dad doesn't care about you, so I will. Yeah. You know, well, like. That's, that's what he's doing. I mean, and that's why out of the four characters in this movie, I so, I so adore Chris Chambers. Right, right. Because he is a peacemaker. And it's funny. That's actually how he dies in the movie. He's, you know, Stephen King is such a w amazingly weird author. He doesn't have a whole lot of good endings to his movies. Um, yeah, not often. Um, and that's, I, I won't, I was going to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, afterwards, but so anyways, ask me about what, about, um, how you might want it to end instead of how it ended. Well, I honestly, I have to say that I know, I know how it ends, but I don't remember, you know what I'm mi mixing up right now in mm. my mind, what? the movie sleepers with stand by me. Do you okay. remember what happens at the end of sleepers? There's some resolution and good things happen. Yes. And no. Do you remember what happens to Brad Pitt's character? Oh, sleepers. I was thinking of uh, flatliners. Sorry. No, no, not flatliners. Oh, sleepers. no. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. And so sleepers is kind of a similar, I mean, very different content because it's about molestation, sexual abuse yeah. of these boys. Um, but it's these young boys who are best friends, yeah. right? It's four of them. Yeah. And what ends up happening to them because they get sent, they do something very minor, but they get sent to a juvenile detention. They're molested. Um, at for a long period of time, yeah. and they are abused. And so when they get out, two of them go one way, two of them go the other way. Um, and so even though this is a different story, I keep thinking about the way Brad Pitt died, and I can't remember how Chris... Chris, uh, there was two men that got in a fight in a fast food line. And he broke it up. And he was trying to break it up, and he got stabbed, stabbed in the throat. The yeah. And he died almost immediately. Yeah. And that's just awful. Skin it. Skin it. Um, so, yeah. So that was one thing I wanted to say. Um, the, the full arc of the movie is it's funny. Like the movie takes place over a two-day period. Right. 
And in the beginning, they're playing cards, they're in a treehouse and all that. Smoking. Smoking cigarettes, <laughs> which is another funny thing. And I guess that's realistic. Oh, absolutely. 12 years yeah, old. That yeah, was real in my life. That's yeah. probably what was uh-huh. happening. Yeah. Um, but they went, and the whole reason they wanted to walk down the train tracks was to find this kid's dead body so they could be heroes. I never quite understood how they would be heroes for, I guess they would be heroes. They would find him because they were talking about him on the news. Yeah. They didn't know what happened to him. The parents would have some resolution. So Mm -hmm. I guess they would be heroes. It's just a weird thing to be heroic about, but I guess it makes sense, right? Yeah. And, you know, again, kid mind, Yeah, you know, right. like we're like, how did they think they were going to bring him back? Mm-hmm. How did they think like it wasn't well, well thought? Well, through. they started, you know, right at the end, they're like, okay, start making a stretcher. I mean, right. think about it. this is like a 20 mile hike right. down the train tracks. So it, there wasn't a whole, it's that's, irrational. that would be a small issue I would have with the movie. But by the end of the movie and Gordy was the leader of this, they decided not to keep him. They decide not to take them and instead they do an anonymous phone call. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you that there's a sense of maturity. At the beginning of the movie, they want to be heroes. At the end of the movie, they do what's right. So that's my my favorite quote. Do you want to do favorite quotes from the movie? Um, I Are have you there? a list of quotes. Um, but yeah, I want to know what your favorite and see if it falls into mine. I think, I mean, there's many, but I think, the, I mean, the very simple one is I love their... Um, it's so funny. I forgot to laugh because mm. I think I said that throughout my entire childhood to people. Right. Like I think I've even said that to my own children. Right. It's so funny. I forgot to laugh. They have a lot of like humor like that with each other. But my actual favorite quote is that scene at the very end when Gordy says, not this way. Because they yeah. want to be famous. They're like, what? but we're going to be famous. Yeah. We're going to, you know, we're going to be on the news. And Gordy understands we're not. Not this way. Yes. This is not going to make us feel right. good about who we are. Yeah, and it just shows that Gordy is a heart-centered human being, and he's kind of he's still grieving through his own brother's death. Absolutely. So this is just a big movie about Gordy processing the death of his older brother. So let's talk. Let's jump to the middle again, um, because on Zen Parenting Radio, you and I talk a lot about triggers, sure. right? And how when you are triggered by something, you literally start reacting from that place. Yes. Like you, somebody triggers you and you almost get sent back into that place in time. And it just, you project all that anger and pain. So that scene that you just played right before that scene mm-hmm is when Gordy is going to get food yes. at the grocery store. And the grocery store guy, who we found out was Bruno Kirby's dad, yes. the, he starts saying, oh, you're so-and-so's brother. Denny's brother. Denny's brother. Oh, you know, it's so sad what happened to your brother. Kind of too, TMI, too much information for this little boy to hear. Sure. Like bringing up something super painful. Mm-hmm. And so he was really triggered. And that's right before he and Chris got into that fight. Yeah. So he wasn't able to say to Chris... I just walked into this grocery store and the grocer kept bringing up my brother. Mm, yeah, I never connected those dots. Yeah, it's and pretty he, good. he was he was sad, but he couldn't That's the thing about humans. We don't say what's really bothering us. Mm-hmm. We instead blame it on the other person who asked the question. Yeah. We and and I don't mean the grocer guy, but Chris, you know, he instead takes all that pain and instead of saying sorry, I was really, you know, and again, they didn't have the language triggered yeah. then, but you know, there's a misunderstanding. It's a misdirected anger. No doubt. Um, a few other quotes. Tell me which one might okay. be your favorite. Right. Some of them are funny. Some of them are serious. Okay. Chopper sick balls. Yeah. Um, that's the dog. Vern saying, what am I supposed to do? Think of everything I brought the comb. Well, and that's the funny thing about the comb is that the comb, like Vern brought the comb so they could comb their hair before they were on TV. Yeah. 
And I think Teddy says, you don't even have any hair. Well, and they are arguing because he brought the comb, but they all forgot to bring food. All of them. But see, that's a funny scene too, because they're all yelling at each other and they're Mm -hmm. mad at each other, but nobody brought it. Right. You know, come on. Yeah. It's childhood. Um... Vern saying, there's one thing I didn't understand. Did Lardas have to pay to get in the contest? Mm. Which is just kind of a, you know, there's the that whole scene where Gordy tells the story that he made up about Lardas throwing up on everybody. My least favorite part of the movie. Well, it's so funny because my, my worst scene was going to be either that part. Oh, uh-huh. actually, that... I have three options for okay. it as far as worst scene. The throw-up scene where everybody's throwing up on each other, the leeches... Oh, yeah. Or the train. Oh, yeah. Which one? Now there's two train The train where they, not the train dodge from Teddy, okay. but instead the train uh, where they're running where on they're the running trellis. Away from it. Yeah. So which is the toughest scene for you to get through? I I never watched the Lardass scene. I've seen it once and or twice. And Why? I, I just, I don't like the way he's treated. I don't like the way the adults are. I oh, know so it's, it's a not story. Be, it's not because of vomit. Well, that's the other thing is I don't need to see that. I think for some kids, I, I think, I don't think it's poorly done it actually came straight out of the book from you know yeah. but it is i don't need to see that again yeah. like it's it's kind of like watching somebody die in a really gory way like yeah. I, I don't need to see it and so i kind of if you noticed what the last time we watched it i was like okay i'm done i, I did didn't want to watch that. it yeah and then my last line which is actually my favorite when um after gordy faints because he had a leech on his private parts yes poor kid. Vern says i never met anybody who fainted before and it's just so funny because it's, it's like a it's such a kid thing to say. <laughs> like you've heard of people fainting, right. but you've never seen it happen. Right. I know you used to faint in your twenties. I, I I'm did. trying to think of when if I've ever seen anybody faint. It's and not actually, pretty. Actually, I've seen uh, one person faint. Yeah. Just once. The w- How many times have you observed oh. somebody fainting? Uh, well, first of all, I've fainted a lot yes. personally. Um, let's see. Probably, I'm thinking about three or four scenarios. Okay. The thing about fainting, though, that people don't tell you is it doesn't look like in a movie where you go over sideways. Mm-hmm. You just completely slump down and fall over. Yeah. And one time when I fainted, I was um, at Lincoln Tap Room in Chicago. Oops. And I went outside. I actually wasn't, it wasn't a drinking fainting thing. Mm-hmm. It was more, um, I just happened to be out because I think it was New Year's Eve. And I fell, I fainted in the street and I hit my tooth on the curb. Ouch. Did you break it? Thank God, no, but I thought for sure. It was so sore. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, I went through all the orthodontics that everybody has. Um, I just remember being like, oh my God, this is a dead tooth. But somehow I made it. It's called dodging a bullet, sweetie. You think? Um, so here's another question I have. Uh, there's a line in the movie where he says, it was weird to me, Gordy says, it's weird to me how Teddy could care so much about his father who practically tried to kill him. And I couldn't give a shit about my old man. And he hadn't laid a hand on me since I was three. And that was for eating bleach under the sink. What is it about that? Because I think there's some truth in oh, that. Oh, sure. Why would a boy be so protective over a father who tried to kill him? And then there's this other kind of like dad. It's so, I think I know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. The, and Gordy's dad doesn't do anything other than ignore him. Right. And I think the answer is we would rather be yelled at than ignored. 
that's definitely part of it. Really the most traumatizing thing for people is it being ignored, mm-hmm. like not being like, that's why children are much more likely to act out negatively mm-hmm. than to not act out at all. Yeah. Because if they are not getting attention for the positive things in their life, they will act out negatively. I also think if I were to, you know, kind of micromanage the story, cause I don't know for sure if this was all worked out in the book, but Gordy is still with his dad every day. Yes. From what I understand about Teddy's stories, his dad is is not not around. So what Teddy has had to do, because this is what children do, is they construct a story in their mind. And that story is what sustains them. Mm. Because the truth about what's happening is way too painful. This is called disassociation. This is where we like kind of separate. We start to categorize in our brain. Like this, I can't look at. It's too painful. So I'm going to create a story around it, which is why he has such a dramatic, like uh, experience with that junkyard guy saying your dad's a loony. Yeah. Because even though there is a part of Teddy that knows that's true, that yes. is goes against his story. Because the story he has mm. is my dad stormed Normandy. Yes. And he that he that keeps him upright. Yeah. Because the truth about his dad, which is that his dad burned his ear mm-hmm. and is not well. And so we now know what his dad was suffering from, right? Uh, shell shock. Shell shock. He probably had an extreme PTSD. Yeah. He had unresolved trauma from the war. I think World War One. They used to call it shell shock, and then psychiatrists got smarter and called it. And then it, there was another word that described it, and then it ended up becoming PTSD. And I want to be very clear because I'm a therapist. I don't want to be. Um, I, I want to make sure my language is clear. PTSD doesn't mean you're going to be violent towards someone. Right, That's PTSD can just mean that you have flashbacks, yeah. triggers, pain, um, a lot of anxiety, but. In his dad's case, he also kind of lost track of reality. Um, So there was PTSD and there there was also like a uh, literally disassociation or psychic breaks that he was having where he hurt Teddy. So the answer to your question is that, you know, Gordy is still having an experience every day with his dad where he's living in the reality. And I think Teddy had to form a reality. Yeah. There's a scene in the movie where um, Kiefer Sutherland's character mm-hmm. uh, throws Chris Chambers on the ground and is about to burn his face yeah, with a cigarette. I don't like that scene either. And I look away. And Chris's brother is is Keeper Sutherland's friend, right? And he just sits there and watches him do that. Yeah. And there, I don't know. Like it's one of those weird things. Like at that moment, that that character in that movie chose his friend over his brother. Sure did. And I just wonder if that's normal or not, because your peer relationships do become obviously super important. Well, I think this goes back to family again, because we know what Chris's dad is like, right? So if we know what Chris's dad is like, we know how he's treating those boys. And so what is the role modeling that this older brother what is he getting? He's yeah. he's getting the role modeling of you teach people a lesson, you treat them poorly. He doesn't have, he hasn't developed his empathy yeah. for himself or his brother. Yeah. Like I think he's just, and so everything you said is true too. There's peer relationships, there's trying to be cool, there's, you don't want to tell your friend. Like Ace, I remember the first time I saw Stand By Me, which was obviously a long time ago. And I remember being like, that is a, like a cruel kid. Yeah. Like Ace is like not an average bully. No, yeah, he takes it up a notch. He's like, he is the guy from the Lost Boys. Mm -hmm. Like, Kiefer Sutherland, man, he like came into the world as like a bully. Like, I know he's done a ton more, like 24 and everything, and he's been able to change his, you know, he's had more of a hero status, but he just looked scary. And I think, uh, didn't we just watch that interview where the boys were saying that they were scared to death of him? Yeah, because he he didn't necessarily stay in character, but he purposely didn't warm up to these young actors 
because the movie was such that the characters needed to be scared of him. So he basically made it easier on these actors by being a jerk to them yes. on set. Which a lot of, I was just listening to an interview um, about uh, The Devil Wears Prada and Meryl Streep did the same thing. Yeah. Like she, that movie, it's like her, she's kind of like an Anna Wintour character from Vogue. And then she has Anne Hathaway, who's her, her assistant. Anne Hathaway, as the as a person, Anne Hathaway, kept trying to like get into conversations with her and Meryl Streep's like, no, no. Like, mm. I think there's method acting, right? Isn't that what of it's course. called? Where you're like, don't, Christian Bale does that. Um, so I want to play this other clip it's only 30 seconds but it's just in a so this is when uh, chris and gordy are by the campfire and um chris is having um kind of a, a a download he's getting really he's about to get really sad because he got accused for stealing the milk money at school and an adult lied to him and it's just a wonderful go ahead and let me say that before you play the scene there is a scene at the beginning of the movie when gordy says he's going to go be with his friends and gordy's dad says something really negative yeah. about his friends like you he's, know you bunch of thieves and liars yes. or something and he says that's not who my friends are and yeah. the dad's like well he stole the milk money right so everybody knows everybody, everybody in knows. this little town knows yes. that chris chambers stole, stole the, the milk, milk money, money. Um, so I, I, it's a two and a half minute clip, which I'm not going to play. This is like the last 30 seconds, but it's just River Phoenix in his, that in his zone. Yes, she took it. I was the stupid one for even trying to give it back. So there he is. And we listened to the director's version of this and Rob Reiner said to River, like, can you, because he tried it a few times and it wasn't working. And he said, so he's like, can you think of something in your own life? Where an adult has taken advantage of you. Or you just makes you really super sad. Mm -hmm. And that, and then he kind of brought it. And another technique that Rob Reiner did was on the train train scene where Vern and Gordy are trying to run away from the train real quick. They could not... um, he, the director, didn't think that they were looking scared enough. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, there's the 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 men on the crew that were actually pushing the dolly down the train tracks, and it was a hot that day, and all that. And Rob Reiner basically just kind of held them accountable. Like, listen, these men are out here sweating to get this shot, and you guys are not acting scared enough. And he basically just started yelled at him, yelling at him to the point where they started crying, and then Rob Reiner <laughs> backed out of the scene and said. Do the scene now. And that's the one they got. <laughs> I know. And then the best part of that, because that for many may sound kind of emotionally abusive, yeah. is that they did the scene and then they jumped on Rob Reiner and they were so proud of themselves. Yes. Now, again, we may have our own, you know, no, none of us would want our children yelled at to yeah. the point of tears, but he was trying to evoke a mm-hmm. certain emotion from them. Yeah. Um, so that scene with Chris, I think that's the most probably the most thought of scene. That's the scene I think of. Yeah, in the movie, just because the, the what I think about, I remember thinking this the first time I saw Stand By Me is I thought about my own hometown and how there's certain last names that if you if you had that last name- You're in trouble. People just had an assumption about you. 
And and again, it could go the other way too, where people had a certain last name, everyone would be hold them in high regard, yep. and they didn't even do anything. And so there, I think everyone can think of their own hometown, and the, the last names that carried such baggage, even if you were not like that. Yep. There was there was a story, and again, I I can't remember Todd if we read this or if this was in the movie in the that background video that we saw about this movie, but he was saying that there was a story about there was a kid who stole the lunch money or they actually, let me take it back. There was a kid. This was Rob Reiner's story from his childhood. There was a kid where lunch money was missing and they looked at the kid and the kid was like, thought of as a good kid. And so they're like, Oh my gosh, I wonder where it went. And they did not blame the kid. Mm -hmm. And then a couple weeks later, a kid who had one of those last names, the lunch money went missing and they expelled him right away. Mm -hmm. They didn't even ask him. They just assumed. Mm -hmm. So it's a privilege. And the kid said to Rob, see, see exactly. So on Todd and my other podcast and parenting radio, we talk a lot about privilege. You know, we talk a lot about how there are certain, you know, there's pieces of our lives that we did nothing to earn and it impacts our life. And then there's people, you know, there's a kid like in this situation, um, different than today, but Chris Chambers, he's actually a really kind, peacemaking, good kid. Mm -hmm. And kids know that, but the adults sure don't know it. I know, I know. Um, So a few other things. One is uh, there's a part that I, you know, take issue with when, when Chopper the dog Uh and the, the used car, the, junk, the junkyard so, yeah, guy, junkyard are guy. chasing after Gordy, and J- Gordy thankfully dro- hops over the fence. Uh-huh. Um, it brought me back to my past because when I was a little kid, we used to like do stupid stuff and get chased by grownups. And what was interesting when I first saw the movie, after they hop over the fence, they just sit there and challenge the the old with the fence junkyard guy them. with yeah. the fence in between them. And I don't know. I think most kids would have just kept on running. The fact that they turned around and just started laughing at the guy because they didn't think he could hop over the fence, and maybe they were right. It's just that's one scene that I didn't quite like. Wow, that's not how I would have done it because you just keep running, and you wouldn't have talked to an adult that way, right? Well, I think there's a few things. Number one, it's a movie, yeah, right? Because that's where you build the tension. That's when he starts making fun of Teddy. You know, that's where a lot of things happen. But I also think that they give you some information before they get to that junkyard about that guy. Mm-hmm. So there, he, that guy at the junkyard has a reputation. People don't like him. That doesn't give the kids a right to be disrespectful to him in that way. But it's not as if they're meeting this guy for the first time. Right. They they they're already they already don't like him. Right. And he's not a very nice man either. Uh, not only is he sicking his dog on them, and they yeah. shouldn't be there. Don't get me wrong; like they broke into his junkyard. So you're breaking okay. and entering. It's not okay. Um, I'm an adult. I understand that, but the he's he is willing to let a dog bite a child. So yeah. he's not a great person. Sick him, boy. <laughs> All Chopper. I heard was and Chopper seems pretty nice. Like he seemed like if you just like put your hand out, Chopper would have just. Well, Chopper laid down. Yeah. Did you see that? He's like, all right, he's out. I'm good. <laughs> um. So last scene I want to play, and okay. then we're gonna get into some trivia. Okay. Okay. Um. This is towards the end of the movie where they discover the body. Okay. And it's just a somber but impactful scene. None of us could breathe. Somewhere under those bushes was the rest of Ray Brower.
The train had knocked Ray Brower out of his keds, just like it had knocked the life out of his body. Jesus. The kid wasn't sick. The kid wasn't sleeping. The kid was dead. So then you see the kid for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, and even as a face. viewer, you're like, oh, you know, as a viewer, you don't know if they're going to find the kid's body yeah. and what it's going to look like. And one thing that I read on the trivia was that uh, this, they purposely hid this actor and what the body would look like until the very moment. So the boys would be so surprised. So the boys would truly be surprised. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a dead, dead boy. Mm-hmm. And it's quite... Well, I I remember at the very beginning of the movie, the narration, the Richard Dreyfuss narration, he said, I was 12 years old when I first saw a dead body. Oh, right. So you kind of know. You know that that's coming. But then it's also interesting just to, to bring back in what you said before about um, Vern, when he's like, I've never met a kid who's fainted before. Yeah. I've never met. So these boys are having all these first experiences. Like, think about how many terrifying and beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And I hope you're going to get into the beautiful thing that happens because it's probably my favorite scene of Tell the movie. Tell me what it is. Um, my favorite scene in the movie, I already told you my favorite quote, but is when uh, Gordy gets up early. Oh, the doe scene. And then he's sitting there on the train tracks before the boys wake up and a deer comes really close to him and they just stare at each other. Mm-hmm. And someone made a comment that they actually look like each other. Yes. Like they have like doe face. Yeah. Um, and just his a eyes, young, Gordy's and their eyes, eyes are the same color. And they stare at each other and then the doe goes off. But what I love about that scene, the most, the most important part to me, is he never told his friends about it because he realized he could not say it without its losing its meaning. Mm-hmm. And this is something I struggle with a lot when I'm telling you a story or if I'm writing something, is there are certain things in our life that are so meaningful that when we start to put words to them, they lose their meaning. It's like we always talk about the Tao. Yeah. You know, the Tao, once you speak the Tao, it's no longer the Tao. Yeah. You know, like you once you say, how could he explain that? Because they may be like, well, did you pet it? Did you touch it? Like people don't understand those kind of experiences. Well, it's funny because you're a little bit deeper person in that. And, you know, when I watched this, I was 11 years old or however old I was. But um, the internet has, you know, there's been debate about what that scene symbolizes. And and I'm as I read it, I want to hear which one of these two camps you're... Okay, read them. So the first one, there's been debate on what that scene means. Okay. The fact that Gordy never said. So the one school of thought is after all the bad things in the lives of the four boys, the death of Gordy's brother, the treatment of his parents, the deer represents that some things in the world are still beautiful and gives him hope. Yes. He wanted to keep it to himself so that because nobody could debunk his theory. Absolutely. The other theory is Gordy has spent the entire trip in constant company of his friends, not doing or saying anything that isn't seen or heard by the others. The deer is the one thing that is personal to him from the entire time they are searching for the body. I mean, that may be true too, but the first one is more yeah. the truth to me is that that's kind of what I mean. Like if you've had the worst thing that can happen, this is like when we as humans feel so not validated is when you have an experience that's really amazing and you try and share it and people question it or they don't feel the same way. It just taints the whole thing. Yeah. And there are sometimes that's you just keep it to yourself. Yeah. Um, so just to spoil the ending. So what happens is Kiefer Sutherland and his gang come down and they drive to the location. Right. So they get there in 20 minutes. So they get there in 20 minutes and um, they all kind of meet at the body at the same time and Kiefer pulls out a knife 
and he's about to attack Chris with a knife. And it's the one time where the brother, the same brother who yeah. ignored his, you know, River Phoenix's character about to get burnt with the cigarette. With the cigarette he says, hey, Ace, come on, man. Right. Now, he didn't stop him, but he at least says something like, right. dude, you're about to go overboard. Right. Um, and then in the background, you don't see this, but Gordy shoots the gun straight up in the air, challenges Ace, and basically uh, makes Ace, the alpha, back down. Right. And just, you know, for people who haven't seen it or it's been a while, Chris brought a gun. Um, but he only brought it because, first of all, because he could get his hands on it because yeah. his dad had it. And they, there's a whole scene at the beginning where Gordy shoots a gar- garbage can or whatever. But it's packed away. And he says, I'm bringing it to keep us safe because there might be bears. Yes. Or garbage cans. Or garbage cans. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what happens in the movie. And then they decide to um, walk back by themselves. And it's funny, even the walk back isn't as fun as the walk there. Of course, it never is. Never is. Even if you drive in on vacation, the ride home always, for me... Think about us when we go on vacation. Like when we drive, we sometimes drive like 24 hours to Florida and you're driving there and you're like kind of fine with all of it. On the way home, it's like like a chore. Yeah. Right. So anyways, so, and then the most sobering part about the movie for me is how it ends. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and they end up calling the police and the body you know, not anonymously gets discovered. So they did the right thing. But what happens in the movie yeah. was that um, Corey Feldman's character and uh, Vern, Vern uh, the friendship just kind of dissipates. Sure. To the point where I think there's a line in there. He's like, to the point where there's just another few faces in the hallways. And as a viewer of the movie, I'm like, how sad is that? Because they had this exceptionally impactful, meaningful experience. And over time, they just became strangers again. And that totally well, happened to me. I, Didn't it, that happen it ha- to you? It happens in life. Right. It's just sad. Well, and you know it's going to happen. There's a lot of buildup to that happening because... Mm. Chris makes a point to Gordy in that scene that you played earlier on the, you know, when they were walking, Gordy had, Gordy is in what we call the gifted program, Mm -hmm. right? Let's, you know, in this day and age, he's a writer, he's on a different track than Chris and Vern Mm -hmm. and Teddy. They are in more of the remedial classes and they know they're going to separate. And basically it's, I'm going to pull in Goodwill Hunting here. Okay. So... It's like uh, Chucky. Yeah, ben, ben Affleck. Right, to Will when he's like, if you stay. I'm holding you back. Then, well, and not I'm holding you back, but I will hold you accountable for yeah. that, meaning you are not doing me a favor. You're basically saying, screw everybody. Exactly. You're screw, you're saying, screw you, Chucky, if right. you don't take this opportunity. It's so interesting because Chris says to Gordy, this is a gift. Exactly. Use it. Use it. And Chucky is saying the same thing. Oh, it's so interesting. And then Chris also says to Gordy in another scene, Maybe you'll write about us someday. Yeah. So it just like, you know, it, it's just a, I think that's a very common, yeah. um, and, and not just with boys, mm-hmm. but with, you know, we, sometimes our love, mm-hmm. what love should be yeah. is you want the best for the people you love. Yeah. You're not saying stay with me. You're saying you're free. Um. So, so what happened, we explain what happens to Gordy grows up and becomes a writer. Yeah. Chris dies. Yeah. How old is Chris when he dies? Um, it was 10 years before him Writing typing this. up this movie. So Maybe probably 30? in his 30s or mm-hmm. something like that. And he hadn't seen him in 10 years, yeah. I think it says. And then, you know, you just Gordy and Vern go out. But in the book, it's different. Oh, what happens in the book? 
The original short story, The Body, reveals what happens to Teddy and Vern. Okay. Teddy is killed in a car crash, and Vern dies in a house fire. Horrible. Right? Stephen King. Awful. Right? Chris, who became an outstanding high school and college student and in his second year of law school, is fatally stabbed after trying to stop an argument at a fast food restaurant. Oh, my God. It's And again, I I think I knew that. But again, I think this is why I get this so confused with sleepers again, because that's exactly what happened to Brad Pitt's character. Yeah. He goes to law school. Do you remember yes, all that? that's totally true. Like, it's the there exact same thing. There are a lot of thing. similarities. And Jason Patrick, interesting, yeah. another overlap, um, six degrees or whatever. Jason Patrick is the one who's the writer. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. He's the writer. And his best. And then the other two guys are kind of like Vern and Teddy. Totally. They There's are four of them. Exactly. Oh, wow. And what's interesting, you just said Six Degrees, and Kevin Bacon is in that movie. He is. He's the bad guy. Woo. Um, so a little bit more trivia, and then I'm going to ask you one closing question. Okay. Um, after Rob Reiner screened the movie for Stephen King, he noticed that King was visibly shaking and wasn't speaking. Obviously, Rob was mm-hmm. very nervous. He left the room, and upon his return, told Reiner that the movie was the best adaptation adaptation of his work he had ever seen. And it's the truth. I think he has said to this day, even though there's been a lot of movies and maybe it's different now because there's been so many remakes of Stephen King's movies. Um, But I think at that time he said nothing had been adapted so well. The movie Christine was so bad. The book Christine, do you remember the book Christine? It was about a car. I never read it, but yeah, I know. I remember literally while reading that book, putting it down and walking away and being like, oh my God. And you think, how could a car coming alive be scary but that and then the movie was horrible how could chucky the doll scare anybody but that wasn't stephen king i know i'm just talking about how could weird things scare us you know what the scariest movie i know you want to finish up here but the scariest stephen king movie oh my god i have so many i mean it is stephen king and they remade that but pet cemetery is brutal like the first time i and i did not see the the new pet cemetery i saw the and you're I, not going to no but i had to watch the trailer because i just had to see it. and they actually changed it a little bit where in the oh, I, I probably shouldn't tell yeah, people don't, don't spoil it but um they changed it a little bit but the first pet cemetery that came out i did go see oh my god like talk about a movie ending just horribly like no redemption mm-hmm. no like okay little sliver of hope but i don't that's not stephen king's thing no but then there's the Shawshank Redemption. That's right. So weird. Like that's one of his only non-tragic endings. So I wonder if he would say if Shawshank or Stand By Me is the best adaptation. Oh, geez. I don't know. That's a great question. And maybe at the time Shawshank hadn't been made yet. <laughs> well, it hadn't for sure. Right. I know it hadn't, but like at this point. But he also did. Rob Reiner also directed Misery. He did. And there's another great adaptation. Yeah. That's a That movie holds up. Like, yes, it does. It's... JC, our oldest, who's 16, she's seen a lot of scary movies. She goes to the ones in the theater and everything. Mm-hmm. She still talks about misery being horrifying. I think that's like her. a good movie to watch. If, if your kid is into horror movies, mm-hmm. for some reason, I feel like that's a safe one. Annie Wilkes. Like it's not, or maybe it's not safe because it's so realistic. Well, there's not a ton of gore. Yeah. But I think the bothersome part about it is that she's a real person. Yeah. I think. I I hear this from a lot of people who are in the horror genre or who who like the horror genre is it's it's a lot easier to be afraid uh or excuse me vampires are scary or you know Frankenstein or or you know something like Jason who yeah. what is that anyway that's just like a person who keeps it's not dying guy. so you can be afraid of that but when someone is real agreed you, I'm completely in that it's camp. horrifying yeah you're like oh my god that could happen yeah 
Um, okay, a few other things. Uh, Corey, um, Corey Feldman stated in several interviews that of all the characters he played, Teddy was actually the closest to his personality at the time. I believe, well, Rob Reiner said he, he chose kids based on how close they were to the character. Um, high school friend Richard Dreyfus from uh-huh. Rob Reiner, kind of cool. Um, high, so Richard Dreyfus and Rob Reiner in were real, friends in from real high life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a stupid one, so I'm going to skip that one. Um, and then I said that last one. So here's the the closing question. Sweetie. Okay. Maybe it's not going to be the closing. It's going to be close to it. The last line of the movie says, um, "I've never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12." Jesus, does anyone? Question mark. Is that true? And I know the answer is depends on who you're asking, but to you, in your experience. Okay. So I, obviously there's not a yes or no. This is, there's so much nuance in here, but why I agree with him is because they're the, the key to the 12 year old relationship or 10 or 11 or even 13, you know, in that, in that time period is you're having first experiences with these people. And these people end up being, this is kind of when you shift, this is like a, again, I'm going to put on my therapist hat. This is a separation individuation time where you start to separate from your parents like you did when you were three. So you need to like pull away and your peers become your support group. So those first experiences become so ingrained in your mind they become romanticized mm-hmm. where I would say like, you know, like my best friend from middle or from high school is still, you know, my best friend. So that has remained. But even though, is. think about that, that's 13 years old. Like your friendship began and actually in high more school. like 14. Right. Yeah. We were. So 14. this is like the pre-adolescent thing. And, but those girls who I'm thinking of and those guys mm-hmm. at that time are ingrained in my brain. Like I remember our songs. I remember our jokes. I, I'm still in touch with them yeah. mostly through Facebook, but we have, we, you know, like, you know, my friend Amy, who, you know, like she'll just send me something on Facebook, like, oh, here's a song. Like yep. she'll just send, she'll just take a picture of her XM radio sure. and send it to me. And there. I know everything about what she's trying to say. Yeah. Like we have that history. So I, now the thing is, is the question you're asking me is, have you had friends that good sense? Well, of course, mm-hmm. but it's a different maturity level. So I'm going to approach the question a little bit differently than you. And I'm going to speak as a guy okay. specifically, not as a human being, okay. but as a guy in the man box and we got to be tough and we got to be not vulnerable and all that. My fear is that for many guys, their answer would be absolutely. Like my friends when I was 12 were my best friends. And I would say that, you know, I, I've developed some wonderful friendships in college, but it was based on alcohol. Like that was the foundation of the friendships. That you would have the alcohol and then you could put your arms around each other. Correct. Yeah. That's when it is. So for me, it didn't, it doesn't count as impactfully that way. So and you know, it's, this is kind of a shameless plug, but seven years ago I started a men's group and it's with, without knowing it, the reason I started it was so I could answer this question. No. Differently. Mm -hmm. Because I think most guys, maybe not most, many guys, more than half the guys would probably say yes, because my friendship, it's harder for us guys to maintain friendships as we get older. And when I mean I mean, for me, deep, authentic, vulnerable friendships, because most of the friends that I had in my 20s and 30s, 
it was based upon sports and beer and girls. And, and getting... you also had a different support system, meaning by then you were married mm-hmm. or you had a girlfriend or, or you had a job. Right. And you, this kind of friendship yes. is they are everything. to yes. your Like we talked about at the beginning, about they're not that into girls yet. They're, yeah. they're really just their most authentic selves. Like no one in that group of four is like, of course they're posturing in some ways. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, this is truly who they are. And they're accepted. Like Vern is a little bit of a nitwit and they're fine with it. Chris has this reputation. They're fine with it. Well, and they're, yeah, nobody's... Uh, Judgmental. Nobody's jockeying for position. No. Nobody has their mask on yet. Right, right. Nobody has their shield up protecting themselves from... Uh, it, it's just, there's a purity to the friendships that they have. And it becomes more and more difficult to maintain that purity, that vulnerability, the older we get because of the culture that us guys are brought up in. Well, and I think that's why Richard Dreyfuss's character says that. And I think even girls can yes. relate to that because there's something about, and I can even say, even though it's not the 12-year-old self, even my college girlfriends, when you are friends with someone before you are anything, yeah. meaning you don't have a career, you don't have money, you don't, and I know some people come into the world with stuff or baggage or whatever, but you really, they just know you as you. Yeah. Then they're, by definition, they feel like your best friends forever mm. because anyone you meet after that, they may like you because of the work you do or because you're their boss or because you live next door to them. There's there ha- there's different reasons. Proximity. Proximity. Like it's kind of like, you know, for people who are famous, they always say it's so hard to have a relationship because people already have these preconceived notions about you. Yep. You don't know if they love you because of your fame or yep. because your money. So these friendships where you are just who you are are by nature going to be more more impactful, more important, more valuable. So the last question, or maybe it won't be... You told me the last question was the last question. I think I know the answer to this, but is there a girl's version of Stand By Me? And before I let you answer, I'm guessing the answer is no, because at the time and to this day, most movies are written about boys and guys and girls play the supporting roles. My question to you is, does any movie pop into your brain as being that kind of come of age kind of... I don't know. Well, I mean, there was a lot of movies. Molly Ringwald did a lot of work for us, you mm-hmm. know, 16 Candles and, um, you know, Breakfast Club. The, the problem, um, or Pretty in Pink for that matter, but the problem with all three of those movies is they don't really highlight her girlfriendships. So even though she did a lot of the emotional work for us around how we feel about boys, how we feel about our family, um, the, the, the interesting thing about girlfriendships is when you see them in movies or when you see them in TV shows, they're very stereotypical. Mm. There's a lot of cattiness. There's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of, but you know what I'm thinking of right now, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm. I always really appreciated Linda and Stacy's relationship. Mm. So Stacy's a freshman, Linda's a senior, which I thought was so strange at the time because why is the senior spending time? But, and and Linda didn't always give Stacy great advice. Obvi. Yes. (laughs) You know, like there was some. Where do we begin? Where do we begin? She was thirteen, by the way. Um, So I that I get, like I I understand that. But at the same time, Linda cared about Stacy, and Stacy they didn't have cattiness between them. They didn't have a a stereotypical we're fighting and talking about each other behind our back. And not a shocking surprise that that was directed by a woman. Of course, yeah, written by a man, directed by a woman. But but it was true story. I think didn't Cameron Crowe like get 
he, he, he infiltrated a high school. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. And he like got all this information, but one other story that's been really helpful to me in that vein is eighth grade. Mm. So in eighth grade, which just came out, feels like a documentary, but it's not, there's this girl that, um, I'm trying to think of the main character's name in the movie. What's her name? I have no idea. How, how do I remember Linda and Stacy, but I can't remember a movie I saw a month ago. Cause we're old. Oh my God. So that's ingrained in my brain from 12 years old. So, um, she remember the girl that she like shadows at high school. Yeah. And again, right. there's a situation that's that doesn't work out really Stacey. well, but that's a, that girl is really a good girl. Yeah. Like she really wants what's best for this character. And, um, I, that's the girls I know. Like, we, of course I ran into difficult girls, but most girls and women that I've been able to spend my life with are beautiful, wonderful, supportive people. We actually do discuss eighth grade in the Zen Parenting Radio podcast that we do. It's podcast number 453 in case anybody's interested. Yeah. So anyways, um, do you want to make announce what our next movie is going to be, sweetie? Um, what is it going to be, Todd? Don't you know? Well, we have we decided? Oh, I thought you wanted to do Bridesmaids. Okay, let's do Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids. Yay. Yay, Bridesmaids. <laughs> no, that's not from Bridesmaids. No, that's Jaws. And I never want to do Jaws. Because that's how I feel about Jaws. All right, so Bridesmaids uh, will be coming up shortly. And for those of you who, if this, if you're new to pop culturing, Todd and I have been doing podcasting for about eight years. We have another show called Zen Parenting Radio, and there's like, what, 500? By now, podcasts. there's over 500. So on this show, we talk about movies, and we dive into self-awareness. And on Zen Parenting, we talk about self-awareness, and we dive into movies. Yeah. So they're just flip-flops of each other. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Um, just really happy that you guys can join us for this hour and 10 minutes. And so Subscribe. Subscribe. Adios. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pop Culturing. If you love movies, music, and talking about pop culture like us, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love Zen Parenting Radio, the podcast we've been doing for over eight years. Zen Parenting focuses on self-awareness, communication, and connection with some pop culture thrown in, and Pop Culturing focuses on pop culture with some self-awareness, communication, and connection thrown in. Listening to both will give you an ideal life balance. If you want to know more about Kathy and I, head over to ZenParentingRadio.com to get more information about our podcasts, events, and don't forget our annual Zen Parenting Conference in Chicago, and so much more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the movies. I like that. See you at the movies. Thank you.